Shroom for Two, Episode 8, Shroom for Too Much Mail. Welcome to Shroom for Two, the podcast about Plants vs. Zombies Heroes, the EA game not responsible for a negative 600,000 karma post on Reddit. I'm Mike. And I'm Taylor. And boy, am I glad I do not run the EA account team, whatever Reddit account, because that guy has had a real bad week. Yeah, that that looks pretty harsh. Uh, I'm I'm not super familiar with that controversy. It seems to have to do with loot crates. What's going on there? Well, you know how Darth Vader is awesome, and like so much of Star Wars is about Darth Vader killing stuff, and it feels really good to be Darth Vader. I'll take your word on that. Yes. Well, uh, the the new Star Wars game, uh, Battlefront 2, which I've never played and I'm not going to buy, but it locked Darth Vader behind a lot of grinding to the point mm. where people who, who paid 80 bucks for the like special edition pre-order or whatever still have to do a whole bunch of grinding to get it, and people got really upset at how much the developers expected people to play this game to unlock all of the coolest characters, and... Uh, some some poor developer who's in charge of the Reddit account had to go in there and talk about the uh, the uh, philosophy behind their decision, and everybody dogpiled on them because that's what you do when somebody who works for EA chimes in. Is like like EA is definitely one of the lightning boltiest uh, game developer companies for for any kind of uh, accusations like bad of, PR. of malpractice. Like yeah, any kind of accusations of poor or borderline unethical design people like to go to town on ea for that but yeah it it got really really unpopular and i didn't even expect there to be so many people who went on reddit that day who knew what star wars battlefront was but lo and behold the people have spoken and i guess they made it cheaper but they also made all the rewards cheaper so who knows how that'll turn out i think uh the question of how much a game requires its players to grind is definitely a relevant one, you know? Like, most people don't have time to sink enormous amounts of time into grinding a game to get all the sweet stuff, and letting people pay to not grind is also reasonable up to a point, but again, it requires that the the numbers be calibrated in a way that feels good to you know, the majority of the people that are that are going to be participating in it. And, you know, this game, Plants vs. Zombies Heroes, which is not Star Wars Battlefront and is the subject of this podcast, is a free-to-play game, and you can grind, and you can spend money on packs, and you're kind of expected to spend money on packs if you want to get all the way up to the highest echelons of whatever. But I think that despite really making it clear to you all the time that there are opportunities for you to spend money on packs, uh, this game is pretty good about giving you access to things if you don't pay for them and kind of not, like, trying to shove you into paying for something. You know, I think the closest this game gets to that is, like, the 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 tier rewards. Like, when you get to Taco or whatever, you have 24 hours to decide whether you want to buy the $25 thing. That's maybe a little bit uh, not so great, but like ultimately, I think that games that have 
you know, loot crates or booster packs or anything like that, there's a shared responsibility between the developer and the publisher and the player to kind of know how to responsibly engage with it. The thing about loot crates that confuses me the most is why are they so unpopular now when they're definitely not a new thing in gaming? Like, you know, as seasoned card game players, we both know what it's like to go through booster packs and, you know, open them up for a chance for getting that card you want and the the disappointment of not getting it or the or the joy of getting that Charizard for Christmas or whatever. And mm-hmm. I guess I'm... Is, is it because these are all virtual items or just, like, because they aren't cards, it's, like, like a suspension of disbelief enough to kind of not make you think of loot crates the same as a booster pack? I think there's some truth to both of those statements. You know, like, even when, you know, games like Magic and Pokemon were new, there were still things sold in booster packs, you know, like baseball cards or other kinds of games that had a random assortment in the stuff you buy. And so there was some kind of, like lottery ticket element to it but it also you were getting a physical thing that like you know you you've probably put a quarter into a gumball machine and gotten a thing at random before you know so it wasn't a completely alien situation but then when you add the fact that you don't get a thing that you can hold in your hand when you crack a virtual booster pack or open a loot crate in a game and combine it with in the loot crate case that it really just kind of feels like a lottery ticket. Like there, you don't really have as much like physical uh, recognition of the thing you're doing that it like kind of doesn't feel like a thing that you're used to. Um, and I mean, you know, you can look it back at like when, um, when team fortress two started doing the hat thing, like that was a real huge kerfuffle on the internet for forever that like suddenly team fortress two was free, but you could pay money to, put a costume on your dude and like that now just seems like a totally regular thing you know like game is free to play and you can play it and there's some cosmetic stuff and you can like pay money to make your dude look a certain way you can maybe pay money to have your dude get a certain piece of equipment those kinds of mechanics in games are here to stay and like there are ethical ways to do them and maybe the judgment of the crowd was that ea did not land in the ethical zone on how Battlefront was was initially rolled out. But, you know, like, the people don't always have it right either, you know what I mean? Like, if every, if someone has an option of, like, can I have more stuff for this amount of money or can I have less stuff for this amount of money? Like, people are always going to want more of it. And people are always going to say that the rate's not good enough. You know, six cards for booster pack and plants for zombies is like really not that many, especially if you used to crack in like a magic booster pack, you get 15, you know, but it's a different, it's a different world, you know, and can't always get what you want. Yeah. Uh, Battlefront also had the problem of uh, being in a open beta, which is uh, mm-hmm. a double-edged sword of crafting the expectations of a player. In that, you know, sure. they play the beta and they get used to the numbers being a certain way when really the beta is a lot further away from the finished product than the player might think. So yeah, a lot of numbers will get shaken up and that'll uh, upset a lot of people. But yeah, the uh, the only Star Wars video game I've played was that Pod Racer for the N64, and I didn't unlock Darth Vader in that either. Yeah. <laughs> I played a little... Um... 
speaking of card games, played a little bit of Star Wars Destiny, which is the new Star Wars card game from Fantasy Flight, uh, which is pretty cool. It's a car. It's like a collectible card game, so you buy it in booster packs, but it's also got dice, and so like all the characters and like you know certain kinds of like lightsabers and vehicles and stuff will have a die that you roll that does stuff. It's it's pretty different from the way this game works, whereas like in Plants vs Zombies, like you do your thing and then they do their thing and then you do your thing and then you fight. Whereas like in in Star Wars Destiny, it's much more like a back and forth like chess style, you know, and then like you know you can pass and the turns over and then everything resets or whatever but you know you're like playing star wars guys and rolling dice and shooting dudes with guns and it's a it's a fun game well you know what card game i've been playing a lot of uh is it this one it is and uh we didn't do a show last week but the last time it recorded i was at rank 50 and today i am once again at rank 50 and in between the season reset damn dude that's a pretty fast climb yeah i, I uh, we'll we'll talk about the deck I played the majority of my games with a little bit later, but the uh, the hardest parts are like that initial thirty and thirty one when everyone's pushed back and everyone's playing like they're super try hard. I need to win games now. Decks like yeah, you're you're playing against all the same dudes that you were playing against in uh, at rank fifty when the yeah. ladder resets. But now they're all trying to win instead of just like half of them goofing off or whatever. Right. Yeah, and uh, after after getting to 32, uh, I've, a, a lot of the ranks in between were a blur until I got to like 45 or so, and it got tricky. But uh, then when I was uh, rank 49, it was announced that a player-created budget tournament would be happening. And uh, in the process of testing my budget decks for that tournament, I made it almost all the way to rank 50 and then played uh, one more game with my with my Mushroom Deck of the Week. Well, damn, nicely done. That tournament's not going to know what hit it if you were winning games at rank 49 with a deck with only eight rares in it. Do you want to, like, formally talk about the tournament a little bit? Because, like, it, oh, the, sure. si- the sign-up process has passed already, so, like, if you're hearing about it now for the first time, it's already too late. But uh... Yeah, so the, the tournament starts on Friday, and this show is going to come out on Friday, so um, I think that if you're hearing about it now, you missed a boat, but the situation is uh, someone said hey, let's do a tournament where everybody shows up with two plant decks and two zombie decks, and the only cards you're allowed to play are eight rares, you know, eight gold cards, and then the rest of them have to be commons and uncommons. So no event cards, no super rares, no legendaries, any heroes you want, any rares you want, but only eight of them. Well, not um, any heroes. There's a You can't have any, like, overlapping... Uh, oh yeah, that's colors. right. So the, you, the the two the two heroes you pick have to not share a class. So if you pick like uh, super brains, you can't then pick rust bolt because they're both brainy. So you have to have two plant heroes that don't share color and two zombie heroes that don't share color. I'm really excited for this. I love these kinds of self imposed challenges. I I like that restricted deck building mindset. Uh, big props to Reddit user. TCG Lewis for throwing all this together and and also setting up the Discord for it, which it, I'm really glad that organizing this kind of thing is possible just among the players and like 
it seems to be pretty well communicated with everything between the Reddit thread and the Discord setup. Well, the, the tournament hasn't started yet, hasn't started yet, so maybe it's all going to catch on fire. But hopefully, it doesn't catch on fire because it does seem pretty cool. Uh, we're not going to talk about the decks that we're playing in it, but I think it's reasonable to uh, to talk about what heroes we chose. So, uh, interestingly enough, Mike and I picked the exact same plant heroes to play. We're both going to be playing Beta Caratina and Captain Combustible. Yeah. And I think our decks are different. Without telling each other, we both picked the same hero. That was really amusing to me. I, I know our Combustible decks are different. I don't know what your Beta Caratina deck looks like. Uh, yeah, it's just like some stuff. So it's probably... If you don't have like a strong theme, it probably looks pretty similar to yours. But yeah, we... We went in a different direction on our combustible decks. Yeah. And then my zombies are Electric Boogaloo and Rust Bolt. Yeah, and I'm playing uh, Infinity and the Smash because I'm still holding myself to No Brainy November. I'm still doing No Brainy November as well, but this doesn't really count, you know? Like, this is a isolated deck-building scenario. It's not on the ladder. Nobody's playing Teleport. Nobody's playing Zomblob. Or I no, guess you could still play... Yeah, I guess they're... you could still play Zomblob, but like Zomblob is way less busted when you don't have all the crazy crap going on. Uh, perhaps, perhaps I'll eat my words, but uh, yeah. My prediction for for one crazy thing happening in this tournament is a huge Giganticus player playing a Zomblob deck and getting a teleport from their superpower environment, and the loser of that game being really salty. Yeah, that would be a pretty huge bummer. But that's 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 multiple what ifs, and I think um, I think the plant decks that I'm playing are going to be pretty good against that sort of thing, kind of not letting them dirtle around long enough to get a teleportation station down and, and tool around until their hand is giant and they can go, like, Medulla Nebula, Swabby, Teleport, Guy, kill you, you know? Like, I'm pretty sure that I'm pretty sure that I'm going to beat them before they do that. Yeah, it's really been uh, tricky to to test your decks on and and see how they'll do on the ladder, because you don't have to worry about, like, weed spray and going viral and rocket science and shamrock and all kinds of stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, we should, play, we should play against each other, because the, uh, the, the, there's a bracket set up on a, on a website called Challenge, uh, which is, you know, some website for running tournaments of your own, and um, we aren't going to meet until the finals if we both get there. Uh, so I think I'm comfortable revealing all my secrets to you, and... Uh, testing testing the budget decks uh and then having it be you know like goku versus vegeta in the finals or whatever yeah and i would like to use that as a chance to test recording my game because i'm gonna plan to do that for all of my games and i've never done that on my phone before oh sure yeah we're gonna pivot to video yeah all right cool but first let's pivot to listener mail uh, so as mike mentioned we didn't do a show last week uh, I was traveling for work. Thank you, everybody, for all the well wishes and hoping that we would come back soon. Uh, but we did uh, make a post on the Reddit saying, hey, we're not going to do a show this week. Everybody send in some listener mail. And we got like a ton. And we got so many that we probably can't do them all on this show. So uh, what we're going to do is we're going to do five of them. And uh, we are going to um, still do all the rest of them, but we're going to do them next week. Uh, so if you don't hear your question, don't be discouraged. We'll be doing it probably next week. But uh, thank you all for all the questions you wrote. Uh, we got some very good ones. We got some very complicated ones. Um, and we got a lot of cool decks that people showed us. So that's pretty sweet. Yes, uh, thank you, all of you. And this also ensures that we'll never fully run out, hopefully, because I like doing listener mail. Yeah, it's a, a sign that we've we've made it as a podcast, that we can't go through all of our listener mail in, in a single episode. So first one is pretty small. It's from listener Elliot. 
who writes in to talk about our um, mentioning of uh, Imp Throwing Gargantuar and Imp Throwing Imp in a previous episode and how the one of the good things about them is that it clogs up the board in a way that lets evolutions basically always be able to come down. You know, like in an age before evolution, Imp Throwing Imp was like great at card advantage, but it could also just kind of pollute your board with a bunch of little random duders and then like prevent you from being able to play big stuff. But now that we've got stuff like uh, Gizzard Lizard and other like really strong cards that have evolution, those imp throwing dudes are are quite good. I like imp throwing imp. I don't like imp throwing. I don't like Gargantuar throwing imp. But I always feel really stupid whenever somebody plays an imp throwing imp up against like my Forget Me Nuts or Galactic Cactus or whatever. Yeah, that sucks. That's definitely a, a strong counter to both of those cards. Yeah, it's also I've I've also been teching out Spikeweed somewhat because of that. But sure, yeah. But yeah, um, that's a very good point about the evolution, uh, especially if you get something in a water lane. And for the imps in the in the water lane, you can get kind of sad if you get like a Swabby or an Infinity Clone and a Gizzard Lizard and things like that are a great way to bounce back from it. Definitely, and I mean, and one of the coolest things about those guys is that you can kind of you can kind of modify the randomness where like if if the imp is forced to go into a water lane you're going to get an amphibious one and like you could already get swabbies even before they were a card in packs you have i think a one in three chance of getting toxic waste imp if you have um four i think it's four four all right because you got the mermaid you got the swabby you got the infinity clone and you got the toxic waste imp i think that's all of them yeah yeah so one one in four chance of getting a two two that gives your whole team death touch like that's insane um, and so that is, uh, that's very good. And, um, and yeah, so thank you for pointing that out. Uh, Elliot also suggests that if we are looking for segments to do that, we do like hero profiles, you know, like what is this combination of classes good against and bad against? Um, and I think that's pretty cool. Um, there definitely are some heroes that I don't think we've really given due time to in our deck text. Like I really like electric boogaloo and we haven't really talked very much about electric boogaloo. Same, you know, with a, with a hero like wall Knight. I think Wall Knight has some cool stuff going on, and like we don't tend to play Wall Knight, and so that means we haven't really talked about it. But there's definitely cool stuff going on in those colors. Yeah, uh, I remember when we were first planning the podcast and coming up with things to talk about. We talked about the idea of like hero breakdowns, and we just haven't gotten around to doing it yet. It's something that is kind of complicated to do, in that there's so much overlap in all the different cards, like, yeah. it can get kind of redundant talking about, you know, what Brainy is good at. Yeah, we, and, so we, we might do it by class in a, in, a, in a similar way. Yeah, and, you know, maybe touch a little bit on cross-class synergy, but focus mainly on one color at a time. But, uh, yeah, keep an ear out for that in future episodes. All right, uh, and thank you, listener Elliot, for that question. Yes, thank you. Our next listener mail is from listener Trevor who submits a no-brainy November deck, a Pirate Infinity, which abuses Quick Draw Con Man and Swashbuckler and things like that. It also runs the uh, the Moonbase Overshoot environment, which I, I've been playing around with some, and I like it more and more, especially with Con Man, because that 3 Overshoot is also bullseyed. Yeah. And Overshoot 3 is a lot, like... Overshoot is. 2 is good, but, like, Overshoot 3 is a lot more powerful than it sounds. Yeah, I... Sometimes I'll mess around. If I have, like, a Boogaloo quest, I'll, you know, throw the Overshoot cards in with, like, a Binary Stars so it does Overshoot 6, and that is 
really incredible, but but this yeah, pirate like I, deck, I, this deck, this deck is pretty pretty all in on pirate synergy. Like with the exception of uh, of Imposter and um, Pogo Pogo Zombie, every single card in it is a pirate card. Um, every single creature, at least, it's definitely like strong. Pirates are a very powerful tribe, but uh, Overshoot stacks. Um, and so, like, if you put a Cosmic Dancer on Moonbase Alpha or whatever, you overshoot twice. What? What? Um, really? And, yeah. Hey, future Mike here. It turns out overshoot doesn't work that way. It doesn't stack. It'll only do the higher value one. Anyways, back to the show. This deck has a lot of, um, like, high-end legendary dudes. It's got, like, two gondolas and three... Um, Plankwalkers, yeah, the cannon that shoots out the extra pirates. And if you don't have those, Cosmic Dancer is honestly not that much worse than those um, because it does a very good job of, like, killing them by itself. And, uh, yeah, this deck is really good. And uh, it's a little expensive. It's got, like, 4X Imposter, 4X Captain Flameface. So if you don't have those, you got to make them. It's got some legendaries, like I said. This is definitely, like, a moon-based alpha deck. So, you know, that's, like... If you if you don't have four of those, then the deck doesn't really work as well. Seems quite good. Yeah, I'm a little surprised at the uh, the inclusion of the Barrel of Dead Beards, but no last mission to set it off. Yeah, I agree with that. I I would definitely put last mission in here. I'm a big last mission guy, and doing that with Dead Beard feels wonderful. But uh, putting Dead Beard on the moon base and having it overshoot must be pretty funny too, because then you get to see the rare barrel attack. Oh mission. yeah. <laughs> Also conspicuously absent is uh, Barrel of Barrels. Ooh, yeah. Barrel of Barrels on on Barrel of Dead Beards is just like you sweep their whole board, which is like honestly one of the most busted things about it. Like I've I've said many times that I think that Barrel of Barrels is pushed like way too hard as good or better than the like zombies get death touch draw card superpower. Um, and like I don't think that they would want you to put that in your deck. And Barrel of Barrels is like comparably good as that. And maybe since this is for No Brainy November, he's also making a political statement that that card is like doesn't belong in the game. Uh, in which case, I respect that. Yeah, this deck looks cool. Uh, well, be, be forewarned, though, the deadly barrel of dead beards exploding will also wipe your your board out. Sure, but you know. Yeah, this is this is a very nice deck, and I I like Pirate Infinity, and this is looking real cool. So thank you, Trevor. Yes, thank you, Trevor. And also, thank you for supporting No Brainy November. Yeah, totally. So our next listener mail comes from listener Patrick, uh, who was one of our earliest uh, writers inners to the show. Uh, so thank you for continuing to write. And uh, he does something interesting where he posts, he gave us two decks, but they're not 40 cards. They're like a deck core. And uh, in doing so, uh, he has kind of preempted a subject that I wanted to talk about eventually on the show about deck building, which is about like packages, you know, like bundles of cards that work well together that are kind of interchangeable between decks. An idea of like a tribal synergy is one of the easiest ways to make a package. Um, and so uh, good on you, Patrick, for understanding that concept. And uh, he's written in with two of them. So the first one is a bean deck that is uh, smarty uh, entirely, calls it the Bouncing Admiral Core. Um, and uh, he wrote in to express uh, gratitude that we talked about Jelly Bean the last time we had a show. He thinks the jelly bean is one of the strongest plant cards in Colossal Fossils, and I must say I agree. Uh, this is a, just a, a very strong-looking navy bean, or a Admiral Navy Bean sort of deck engine, so you've got four navy beans, 
for Lima Pluridons, uh, for Cosmic Beans and so on, uh, Sporticus, Jelly Bean, uh, and then some Brainanas at the top end. And uh, yeah, it looks quite good. And like the the version that he's posted is built with uh, Green Shadow, pretty much no matter what color pair you go into the bean strategy with, um, you're going to do well. The only uh, guy in this bouncing Admiral package that I have any qualms with is Cool Beans, which I think works way better in a freezing deck than a bean deck. And but uh, like I I like having that uh, combination with uh, with Winter Squash that will let you just wipe mm. out multiple gravestones at once. Like that is that is my favorite part of Cool Beans. But this, this looks very nice. Like the beans are definitely very strong right now, and I I love teching in Brain Anna in the high end to pretty much any kind of smarty deck you've got going on. Uh, uh, one addition that I would make to this is uh, Planet of the Grapes. Planet of the Grapes is not a bean card, um, but there are multiple things in here that are like very, very good with Planet of the Grapes. So like obviously Admiral Navy Bean does damage to them, but so does Sporticus. And uh, Sporticus is in some ways even better because if you have a Sporticus on a Planet of the Grapes, it draws you cards with no mana investment from you. Like if you want to get the card off Navy Bean, you have to play a card to do it um, and you need to spend mana. And, you know, it's not like that's bad. Like, drawing a bunch of cards off Navy Bean is, like, one of the best things to do with it. But uh, Planet of the Grapes, I think, really belongs in pretty much any any Bean deck. It also works with all of the bouncing creatures because that'll free up the lane that Planet of the Grapes is on to let you attack directly. It's true. And also, if you have a, a, a second team-up creature on that environment, you'll draw two cards if they attack directly. So Cosmic, yeah, 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 Cosmic Bean... It feels like, I think, higher and higher of Cosmic Bean with, like, every passing week. Yeah, Cosmic Bean is busted. And Borden, no, that's not true. Cosmic Bean is not busted. Cosmic Bean is very good. It's just a two-mana 1-1 one, one that draws you a card. But it's just, like, between Evolution and Admiral Navy Bean and, and whatever, there's just, like, a lot of great stuff to do with it. Yeah. You, if somebody went and made a, a deck for the budget tournament and used their eight rares as four Admiral Navy Beans and four Cosmic Beans... That, that's a pretty solid core like that. Yeah, I, I, I will spoil it. I, I did not do that, um, but that does seem quite strong. I bet somebody's going to have done that. I thought about it real hard, but I didn't end up doing it. Uh, okay, uh, but that's only one of the decks that Patrick wrote in with. Why don't you talk about the other one, Mike? Uh, Patrick also asked about Imitator, which is a, a Colossal Fossil card that we haven't really talked about much, the... 3-mana, 1-4, that turns into whatever the next creature you summon is. And he also suggests another core package of berries running uh, High Voltage Current and Sergeant Strongberry, which is the, the ideal turn 4 play to follow up Imitator, because uh, the, the Strongberries will stack with each other and you'll, you'll do a whole bunch of crazy damage. Yeah, they go, they go infinite like uh, Heart of Choke would. It's, you, you do damage until they block. I didn't think about it before, but high voltage current is a really, really strong addition to the Berry Tribe. Like when it came out as an event card, I didn't think much of it because, like, oh yeah, it gets really big, but it's only ever has one health, so it's super weak. But it draws you a card. Yeah, it's it's like we were just talking about Cosmic Bean. Like, it's it's the Cosmic Berry. And each 
trigger of Stars and Strongberry will power up your current one more, so you get even you get to grow it even faster. Patrick continues that you shouldn't plan on trying to set Imitator up with a really expensive card like Dandelion or Astrovera or Grapes of Wrath because it is really difficult to get it to survive for that long. It is. But playing it as a on turn three or, you know, turn two if you're Solar Flare and get lucky into a, a turn four play like Search and Strongberry or you also uh, list Starch Lord and Mirror Nuts as other very good targets and those are wonderful. I would Don't forget Repeat Moss. Oh yeah, yeah. I would add Briar Rose to that list. Just having two of them on board is a wonderful insurance policy and can help. Like Imitator is really good at giving you more copies of powerful cards you don't have many of. Like if you if you only have one Bananasaurus but you play it following Imitator, you have two of them right there and your opponent suddenly has to deal with both of them and that is really daunting. Yeah, Imitator Imitator is one of those cards like Pear Paradise where it's like meant to be a combo enabler and it basically says play me on the same turn as a card that costs two or play me on turn three and a card that costs four on turn four. And in that case, the best cards to copy with Imitator are cards that either protect themselves or accomplish something as soon as they enter. So like one of the things that makes it harder to to make repeat moss work with imitator is that if you play a turn three imitator and a turn four repeat moss, you're out of mana and can't immediately get value off the repeat moss. And like repeat moss is pretty wimpy as far as stats go, and so like they can just get killed. With something like Sergeant Strongberry, at the very least they're gonna prop they're gonna have to trade for it because if they play a creature in front of the strongberry, the creature's gonna take six. Um, and you know, so in that case, like they spend a card and you still have a start and strongberry. And so that I think is generally much better. It's a much more proactive thing to do, um, with imitator. And that's what those kinds of combo enablers want to be. Do we know if imitator will copy like a Lily of the Valley buff? It will not. You get the base stats of the card. And then if there's like anything going on in that lane, it'll be modified by that but it doesn't copy buffs. One thing it does actually do, this is something to be wary of, it gets really goofy with cards that make multiple things enter the battlefield at once. So Patrick mentions in his um, in his email that uh, if you play a Pop and Poppies, you know, comes in and makes the little buddies, one would assume that Imitator would copy the first thing that entered the battlefield, Another, in which case you get another Pop and Poppies and you get even more dudes. But you actually get a little buddy instead of the Pop and Poppies. There's probably some like mechanical sleuthing to be done in service of that. That sounds like it's a, a last-in, first-out uh, stack where like yeah, Imitator like... triggers off Pop and Poppies, but then Pop and Poppies triggers and makes the little buddies, and then the little buddies trigger the Imitator, and then the top one resolves, you know, and the top trigger is it trying to copy a little buddy. Um, and then so when the other triggers resolve, it's not an imitator anymore, so it doesn't change. It could um, also be a left-to-right thing where it copies the pop and poppies because that came into the lane into the game first because it was in the leftmost lane. Yeah, it's possible too. I bet the developers have, like, a debug mode where, like, there's, like, a log that explicitly tells you, like, in what order the things trigger and, like, what is going on simultaneously. And just as, as someone who's more interested in kind of the academic and um, the, the programmery 
side of how games like this work, I'd be really fascinated to see what's going on in like a really complicated scenario where like, you know, someone casts a bad moon rising and like some crazy stuff happens. And then like that causes other abilities to happen and some crazy stuff happens. You know, like I would like to see how the game, um, plays with all that. Uh, but if you would like to see how the game plays with all that, one of the ways to do that is to play imitator. And, uh, if you'd like to play imitator, uh, this Barry Tater core deck from listener Patrick seems to be a good way to do that. So thank you very much. Listener Patrick. Yeah. The one last thing about imitator, uh, Imitator scares me a little bit because it's a card where you can make yourself look really stupid by, you know, playing something with team up that creates extra things or, you know, spacing out between a turn and, you know, I'm going to play the zero mana puff shroom and, oh oh, crap, I get, you know, to set up your gloom shroom or whatever and you, whoops, you you gave yourself a second puff shroom. So have fun with that. Yeah, I, um, I had Imitator in a repeat moss deck like I was mentioning and I also had uh, Umbrella Leaf, because Umbrella Leaf is pretty good at protecting Repeat Moss. But uh, if you have an Imitator out and you play a Banana Leaf uh, or an Umbrella Leaf, you get another Umbrella Leaf. And then, like, oops. And uh, two Umbrella Leafs next to each other, like, giving each other both untrickable is, like, actually not terrible. But um, generally, when you're playing Repeat Moss, you want to just kill him real quick. And the way you kill him real quick is to turn your Imitator into a Repeat Moss. Uh, and so, you know, there's, it kind of gives you enough rope to hang yourself in that way. Our next listener mail comes from listener Jacob, who asks two questions. The first one being, he wants to hear our thoughts on Three Nut, another kind of overlooked card from Colossal Fossils. Yeah, and, when, we should read it, because, like, I, I haven't really thought about that card very much until we got this question. A Guardian card, a three mana, three one. When you play a plant, that plant's attack becomes three. And it's a peanut. Yes. This card is cool. I'm real scared of things with one health that you're trying to keep alive for yeah, extended it's, it's amounts of time. Su- super fragile. You, you look at this card and you think of it as being a way to power up one attack guys, like, you know, powering up mm-hmm. your, your garlic or whatever. But it also has some versatility as a defensive card in, like, a Picanolith deck, if you're trying to save yourself from Rolling Stones or Weed Spray, you want to, oh, yeah. you know, make that Picanolith a little harder to kill, you can throw a 3-nut ahead of time and give it, you know, make it a 3-7, which is really hard to kill, although the the 3-nut itself will only attack for one, so it's, you know, not not its first plan, but that is... A, yeah, it's, it, it's kind of funny. 3-nut is a, a high-risk, high-reward card. So, like, one of the best things to do, I think, as an aggressive plant player right now, is to buff Shroom for Twos with Crow Magnolia. And when you do that, uh, your 1-1s turn into 3-1s. And then suddenly you're attacking for 6 in the lane that you just played a Shroom for 2 in. And 3-Nut lets you do that all by itself. Yeah, you're, like, in danger of getting blown out by, like, the Fireworks Zombie or the Barrel of Deadbeards. Um, but I think that three nut is one of those cards that rewards creative deck building can really, when used properly, uh, put up quite a fight. It's also not bad. Like if I'm a zombie player and I see someone drop a three nut on turn three, I, that, you know, it it becomes like a lightning rod that I need to take care of that. However, so maybe I'm not going to play my medulla nebula on turn three and instead play something that'll take care of that because, I you know you know if I 
if that card survives a turn, I expect the board to be filled up with, like, Walnuts and, and other little guys like that with three attack. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's like playing, um, you know, you play a good one-mana plant and then Smash, like, uses their ultimate superpower to kill it. You're like, yes, I'm so glad you didn't kill my awesome better creature that's coming later with that, you know? And so three-nut is one of those, sort of like last time we mentioned uh, Frankentar. Um, Frankentar is a, is a card that when your opponent sees it, they kind of have no good options, like... Either they can kill your Frankentar and get killed and and get attacked by all the weenies that you have that are gonna bu- that would have buffed the Frankentar had they died, um, or they kill the weenies and the Frankentar gets big. And so, with three nut, it's like when you're playing it, you're saying I might have a handful of little dudes that I'm gonna overrun you with if you don't kill this three nut. Um, and so then they have to say, okay, am I gonna burn a removal spell on three nut? Am I gonna block it? What am I gonna do? And, uh, and like, maybe you don't even have any payoff in hand for three nut and it's really just a lightning rod to protect your later thing. Um, so like it's, it's a card that's really thinky. It's a card that really gives you like creative deck building opportunities. Um, and it's like, you know, it's going to lead to some crazy game stories, you know, like I played a million puff shrooms and then attacked them for a billion, you know, like that's the kind of thing that three nut allows you to do. Or I played Walnut Bowling, and now I have three three sixes, and they have a field. <laughs> yeah, yeah car- cards that confuse your opponent, I'm a big fan of. And yeah, nothing's totally. more confusing than finding someone playing three-nut right now. Listener Jacob also asks about Immortitia and any deck ideas we have for her. And uh, stay tuned to December for when we answer that question. Yeah, that's right. Sorry. Sorry, listener Jacob. Uh, sadly, No Brainy November would make it unethical for us to answer that question at this time. Um, but... Don't worry, we'll be playing Immortitia once November's over. Thank you, listener Jacob. Uh, and our final piece of listener mail this week is from listener Zidarkhan, uh, who asks how Untrickable should work. Because as I'm sure everybody's noticed, Untrickable stops most stuff. You know, you can't target an Untrickable creature with a burn spell, and, you know, Untrickable creatures survive like a tactical cuke. Um, but they still take damage off Cherry Bomb, they still take damage off of uh, Grass Knuckles' superpower um, and other stuff like that. This question is a great example of why game designers often regard mechanics like Untrickable, where they say that you can't do something, as like hard to understand and confusing for new players. Um, not that listeners of Darkon is a new player, but that, you know, to say this card isn't affected by your opponent's tricks um, requires you to have an understanding of all the things that your opponent's tricks can do. And then to have a correct interpretation of what counts as being affected by your opponent's trick. And so when I first saw this mechanic, for example, I would have thought that cherry bomb would not affect an untrickable creature. You know, when it says deal end damage here and next door, um, I would assume that that, quote-unquote, affected the creature in the lane. But, you know, what Cherry Bomb really says is choose target lane, deal four damage to zombies there and next door. Yeah, and it, has, so you're tar- it has splash damage, essentially. 
Yeah, it's like you're you're targeting the lane, you're not targeting the creature. And if that's the case, then like why does tactical cuke not work? Because tactical cuke doesn't target a creature, but being just flat out destroyed by a thing does count as affecting the creature according to the way Untrickable works. And so I think there's a mismatch there, to be honest. And I think that Untrickable is an okay mechanic to have. Um, as I've mentioned before, I think it's a dangerous mechanic to to push, you know, because it, it, it removes an interaction point. But I believe that Untrickable would be more palatable if you always knew what it was going to do. Um, and so I think that even though this would make the card even less interactive, the, the way I would assume Untrickable works an untrickable creature wouldn't be affected by cherry bomb or anything that just any trick card wouldn't work against it. I suppose I would prefer if untrickable were like an untargetable effect in that, you know, things like cherry bomb and tactical cube would still work, but any kind of card where you have to target a specific zombie immune from that. Yeah. That's how it works in magic. Like the, the equivalent mechanic in Magic, um, well, there's two. There's one called Shroud, where no one can touch it, and there's one called Hexproof, which just says your opponent can't touch it. But if you if you deal a million damage to every creature, or you say destroy all creatures, you still affect all the cards with Shroud and Hexproof. Um, and and I think that like if you're going to call it untrickable and just say tricks don't work, it should count for everything. But that if you're going to do a mechanic that's like still fun and like reasonably easy to put on powerful cards and have them not be busted, um, that it should work like Shroud and Hexproof. Yeah, I'm... Part of me is kind of glad that Cherry Bomb is still relevant in some way because, you know, I, I remember in the original Plants vs. Zombies how much fun... how good it felt to, to get off a big Cherry Bomb and... Oh, yeah. Kabloom cards are there to do damage and a six-mana trick that does four damage to three lanes is kind of overshadowed by tactical cuke at this point, And I think that's really unfortunate. So I'm glad that cherry bomb has a, a nice way to shine, even if it doesn't go uh, one for one with fossil head and parasol. And like the, the vagaries of how untrickable works with cherry bomb and tactical cuke and so on would be less important if there weren't really, really strong untrickable cards that you had to kill all the time. And so, like, Fossil Head... Fossil Head is really strong. I honestly don't see as much of it as I would have expected to see, um, like, when the card was first spoiled. I only... I run into it probably once every ten games or less. But, um, you know, like, when you see a Fossil Head, the name of the game is Killing Fossil Head. And when you see Parasol Zombie, the name of the game is Killing Parasol Zombie. And uh, the fact that some good removal spells still do kind of work to get there. Um, I guess like maybe is, is better from a, from a game balance perspective, but from, from a, um, from what Mark Rosewater calls comprehension complexity, which is like how much brain power do you have to devote to just understanding the rules? Um, the fact that untrickable has like exceptions for things that target lanes is like definitely a boost to the comprehension complexity. Yeah. I hope we see more, uh, either non-trick removal or tricks like uh, spit out superpower that summons that landmine that does six. Yeah. Just as a, a way to get around untrickable things. Because that does feel real, real hard to get around and with the cards we have right now. 
Yeah, certainly six is a is a very difficult number to reach when you when you're not allowed to use tricks. And I mean both the both the really pushed zombies with Untrickable have six health. Uh, but uh, that's what we think about Untrickable. So thank you, listeners, Darkon. Yes, thank you. Uh, so on to our favorite segment, card of the week. We have three cards of the week to talk about this week, but we really only have two because the card of the week that we missed last week when we didn't do a show was Sneezing Zombie, which we talked about in the previous episode. Uh, so good for us. Yeah, good good looking out. Good job past us. Yeah. And uh, Sneezing Zombie, if you don't remember, uh, is pretty good. Uh, probably not going to play four of them in your deck, uh, but you probably don't need to because it's very strong. I've been getting real annoyed by it when uh, when I'm playing a mushroom deck. Oh, yeah, that'll, I bet. That, that, that'll set your field back something bad. But for this week, we have the Mayflower, another previous cash-only card that is back. That is a smarty card. It is a 3-mana a 2-3 three three with Amphibious. And when it hurts the zombie hero, it conjures a corn, squash, or bean card, which is quite a lot of cards at this point. There's definitely a lot more cards in the mix for this to conjure than there were at the time when it first happened. And so like when, when you were first doing Mayflower, like there was a reasonable chance that you were going to get like a cornucopia or a kernel corn off it. And those are super strong. Uh, but now, you know, there are some kind of lower power, uh, things in the mix for you to get. Um, but I think it's still quite good. Three mana card with amphibious worst case scenario. It blocks a toxic waste imp and uh, best case scenario it sits there chopping in for a little tiny bit of damage and drawing you good cards the whole time. Um, and so I think that uh, Mayflower is like a good role filler for like a mid-rangey smarty deck that like wants to draw powerful cards and match their opponent's card, you know, on power level. Because um, uh, you got some pretty good ones to get off Mayflower still. Yeah, I think this is a great card. I It was one of the first event cards that I went and crafted that I, I really felt bad uh not being able to buy it first time around because the uh the smarty card that it compares the most to is the cattail which is way way sure. worse and yeah i agree yeah this this is a very nice card i wonder do you think when the uh when the development team was deciding when to release what cards there was a heated debate on whether to release this in november or may uh it's possible i mean it's definitely i mean like conjuring a corn squash or bean is like very clearly a thanksgiving reference um and so i guess like probably for mayflower like if they designed the text box before they designed the uh the name then it was probably like sure we'll do it in november but uh yeah it's like i i like the name because it's it's one of those it's a joke, but it's not a pun. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of puns. Sometimes puns get old. But this is just like, oh, yeah, Mayflower. It's a funny joke. But it's not like, you know, it's not like our next card, Transfiguration, yeah. uh, which is a fig. Uh, so that's cool, I guess. Um, but it's a um, it's a four mana two seven that says whenever a plant gets hurt, transform it into a random plant. Uh, and it is a Kabloom card. I hate this card. I I think this card is really bad, and I I base that from the handful of times I've gotten one off of a uh, off of a reincarnation when it became a three eight, and those stats don't really mean anything because the first time it takes damage, it's going to turn into something else. 
Um, so I do not hate this card. I don't think it's going to set the world on fire, but I think that it's um, it's a lot more fun than it is good, you know? So uh, it's going to make for, for fun and funny game stories rather than like a deck that zooms you to the top of the ladder. Uh, and it's okay for cards to be that instead of just like whatever the best card to play in your deck is. One thing I don't know is whether this counts for plants that die. Like if I have a one, one and a transfiguration and the one, one takes damage, does the one, one just die or does it transform? It just dies. Yeah. Okay. That's what I thought. That's what Um, I really don't like about it is so often if your plant takes damage, it takes enough damage to die and therefore you don't get any kind of cool effect off of it. Especially now that a barrel of barrels and laser base alpha are out there making everything deadly. The the deck building restriction on Transfiguration is fill your deck with plants that don't die to one hit. Um, so that means that rather than putting it in like a deck full of mushrooms and tokens, you want to put it in a deck full of like garlics and walnuts and whatever. On the face of it, that would mean that you wanted to put it in a Spadao deck. And, uh, and I think like this is a cash shop only card and uh, I'm probably not going to buy it outright. So it's going to be a while before I can have enough of these in a deck to build one with it. But I think that a deck that has, you know, like Walnut and Mirror Nut, maybe even uh, Piconolith, um, that Transfiguration is just going to be like a random card that's like fine to include. You wouldn't want to have it in play at the same time as a uh, as a Piconolith because if the Piconolith gets hit and gets polymorphed, you know, all the rest of your creatures aren't going to do damage anymore. Um, but... I think this card is going to be fun. Like, you know, I don't, I don't think that this is a card that's going to get you to legend, but I think that once you're at legend, the transfiguration deck that you play is going to be really fun. Yeah. Um, now that you mention it, I, I probably have a, a biased view on it because I've only played it in like, uh, solar flare decks and things like mm. that. But, uh, putting it on a field with galactic cactus and seeing how many of them you could set off at once sounds really fun. <laughs> Yeah, that's totally awesome. Maybe that means that uh, your board is like worse than it otherwise would be, and and that the best thing to do with Galactic Cactus is still to just like make your hibernating berries bigger and make your pear cubs into big dudes. Um, but polymorphing your whole team with Transfiguration uh, is pretty cool, and it's going to lead to some cool screenshots of crazy boards that would ever never have otherwise happened. I suppose I'm suspicious of of cards that become any random plant because there are sure. so many plants like you know it's got the same seedling problem where yeah this might turn into a great zucchini but it might also turn into a you know a vanilla pea shooter and it feels like there are a lot more cheaper wimpier cards than there are big awesome things you can get out of one but it's i if you, if, if you play it enough you're going to see all kinds of things for sure it would have been stronger no doubt if it had some kind of bad moon rising type clause where it was like turn the plant into a random plant of cost N or greater. Um, or even just like turn it into a random plant of the same cost. You know, like that would be, that would probably have allowed them to make it cheaper than four. Um, I think costing this at four is a safety valve from it just like accidentally being insane, which is something that you, you need to do when, when making a crazy random, especially a random card like this, um, that like you don't really have any control over over what it's going to do, um, you kind of need to make sure that uh, that it doesn't fly off the handle, uh, which it could if it costs three, um, even if the stats were lower. 
But um, but yeah, I mean, I th- I think that uh, don't give this card short shrift. Like, it's no uh, it's no kitchen sink zombie. You know what I mean? But it's uh, it's gonna be cool. It has a home, definitely. Uh, hopefully, hopefully someday we'll see that that crazy RNG Spadow deck because now that I'm thinking about it, it seems really fun. I might I might uh start. Let's see, it's a fig. It's nothing, nothing conjures leafy or fig or anything like that yet. So I think it's a fruit. Fruit, right? Yeah, fig, fig, fig is not a tribe yet. Not until we get the Newtonian fig. Yeah. Does anything conjure a fruit? Um, exploding fruit cake conjures a fruit, um, but that's not out yet. Um, so maybe, maybe exploding fruit cake will give you a transfiguration, and it will polymorph your team and be crazy. Yeah, keep an eye out for that. But also, exploding fruitcake is a good counter because it does seven damage. Yeah, that's a bummer. <laughs> I, I'm still like really curious as to why they made exploding fruitcake deal seven and not six. Like, like Pica- what's Pic- going on? Picanolith, there? maybe. Like, that's the only thing I can yeah, think yeah, of maybe, that makes that much of a difference. Picanolith, maybe Wingnut, but like those cards aren't that great. They're like fine, but like again, like we mentioned in the in the first uh, Colossal Fossils episode. If you were telling me that there was a seven damage burn spell that was being added to the game, I would not assume that it was the zombies that were getting it. You know what I mean? Like, seems like the plants could use that kind of thing way more than the zombies could. Um, but I mean, who knows what's in store? Maybe there's some crazy, crazy thing that the zombies are going to need to be able to explode, and and maybe maybe I'm undervaluing the plant conjures a fruit as like maybe every fruit is insane and like. It's like kill their good thing, but give them a better thing. You know, then that would actually maybe be okay. But seven damage for two or three or whatever, like that's that's a lot. I actually bought a fruitcake today when I went grocery shopping. Oh yeah, was it disgusting? I like fruitcake, man. I I I am staunchly pro fruitcake on this podcast. Like I I, I enjoy. I, I it. am. Nah, I am going to distance myself from that hot take. All right, em- embrace debate. Also, I'm looking at the fruits right now, and yeah, there are a lot of really good fruits. A lot, a lot of legendaries too. Yeah, what? Well, the only one I can think of is Captain Cucumber. Uh, shooting star fruit, dark matter dragon okay. fruit, astrocado, cornucopia. Cornucopia is a fruit. I guess. Oh yeah, there's a bunch of little. I guess there's in there. fruit in the cornucopia. Yes, exactly because of that. Winter melon, regular melon. Catch a mechanic, tactical cuke. Chili pepper, atomic bomber granite. Yeah, there's some good ones here. There's some there's some stinkers as well. Gravitry is a fruit because it has apples floating around because haha. Yeah, so it's what, a leafy fruit? Yeah. Oh fruit tree. Okay. Um yeah, I guess the worst fruit you can get is like spine apple. Uh, That'd be pretty sad, yeah. And uh I guess like Pepper MD, it's like possible for you to have no ways to trigger that, and so you just get like a dinky little two mana two two. You get an atomic pomegranate and just be kind of mad at it existing. Yeah, atomic pomegranate, just kind of being bad. Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely not like all winners. You know, there are some lame ones to get, but it seems as though the average power level is pretty high. You know, if it's like. We're, we're going down a real thing. deep hole on exploding fruitcake, which is not a card of the week. Just uh, yeah, that's true. But I mean, you know, uh, we're talking about randomness and transfiguration is a fruit, and you know, whatever. Yeah, kill your guy, give you a guacadile. You know, like that's pretty good. 
I suppose like there are some some questions internally about okay, we're gonna make a crazy spell that does damage but can't hit the face. How much damage does it need to do before people care? Yeah, because like this is a last mission world we're talking about where that is you know removal damage spell supreme in that it it's cheap it does four damage and it can hit face so like it has to compete with that. Yeah, I think we might we might as well uh, call out um, exploding fruitcake as a card of the week. You know, because <laughs> we've talked about it so much. Yeah, yeah, maybe. And for our deck of the week, we have a deck that I've been tinkering around with since Colossal Fossils came out, and it was the best plant deck that I played on my way to ultimate rank. It is the Super Mario Mushroom deck featuring Captain Combustible. I've it it's an aggro deck, of course, because it has mushrooms. It runs some wonderful cards like Chromagnolia and uh, Lily of the Valley to help make things stronger real fast. It runs uh, the new legendary, the Gloom Shroom, which I think is fantastic, especially with Combustible's uh, superpowers. Yeah. In that getting a bonus attack from that is really huge. Like, you don't even need to get the evolution to deal damage to it. It can just work on its own as a finisher, and if you play it on heights, it becomes a 7-7. Yeah, that's good stuff. And I mean, the Mushroom stuff already all works so well together. Like, you've got the Astro Shroom to get value off your tokens. You've got the the Lord that buffs your team to get value off your tokens. You've got Punish Shroom to get value off your tokens. And you've got Cro-Magnolia and Gloom Shroom to... Uh, make your team do a ton of extra damage. Fireweed was a pretty late tech-in. I used to run the Mushroom Grotto environment, but it turns out if you're not running Pine Clone, just, just don't bother with that environment. It's not really that great. You can't play a three-mana plant environment on turn three in this world. It'll just get paved over immediately. Like, you need to wait until turn four to play a Shroom for two on it or whatever. And it's it's just and not even that that's good. pretty slow. Yeah, this this is a lot more of a fast paced aggro deck. So I put in fireweed as a, a w- more of a way to get rid of my opponent's fields, but also you know turn two, getting that three three out there is nice. But I don't like doing that as much as I did in like a like a solar flare deck because you want to keep heights open for Lily on the valley, and. One of the underrated stars of this deck is the Puff Shroom, the 0-mana 1-1, which that is a really, really useful card in that it wears the the, uh, the the buff tricks that Combustible has really well. Like, you can just throw this out there and immediately give it 2-2 on turn 1, and that just is amazing. And you can play it on turn 2 with Lily of the Valley to get immediate value and also as an extra... Thing in the height lane to do damage, like following that up with like a like a gross room on turn three, so you have a four attack and a three attack guy in that one lane is really wonderful and will do a lot of damage super fast. And it's fodder for Crow Magnolia to eat as well. Exactly, yeah. And as well as uh, as Gloom Shroom, sometimes I'll just keep one in my hand so I can get the evolution on turn five right away. Yeah, this is this is a very nice deck. I. I wanted to build a mushroom deck that didn't have pine clone in it and see how how viable that was 
and it is super good. Like, like there are a lot of really strong tools that mushroom decks have right now, and you don't even need pine clone. Though you might need gloomshroom. I don't know. Gloomshroom is really nice to have. Yeah, I mean, you want you want some kind of finisher, right? Um, and so we had a question a few shows ago about like what to put into mushroom decks besides like pine clone and molecale. Just basically, you want something that either uses your tokens to slam the door right away, and that would be Crow Magnolia or Gloomshroom, or you want something that your tokens allowing you the time to play that card causes you to win right away. And so, like, from a new player perspective, maybe that's just, like, Poison Oak, you know? that like they spend all their cards killing your mushrooms and then like you have a giant thing to kill them with. Maybe it's a repeat moss combo. Maybe it's, you know, just some random big dumb thing like potted powerhouse. You want to have something that goes well with the fact that you're playing a bunch of small creatures that you're making bigger over the course of the game. Yeah. You could also go a little more environment heavy and add like vegetation mutation to buff up all your small dudes at once. Sure. Give them like you know coffee grounds to give your big things double strike as well. I when I'm making a green deck, I almost always want to put like two coffee grounds in there as my environment. I have a hard time convincing myself it's okay to make a deck that doesn't have any environments in it right now. Environments are a portion of the game where zombies have a very strong advantage because of when they get to play them. Yeah, and, and the like, fact that so many of them are so much cheaper and better, like black hole. Having fireweed in there both to make an environment and as a very strong attack creature is kind of a perfect marriage for this kind of deck. Yeah, I still think that plants could use some better environments, but um, generally speaking, fireweed does exactly what you want it to do in this sort of deck. I also, I've been putting two umbrella leaves in pretty much every green deck I make. Yeah, those are good. Yeah, they're real nice. Anytime you have a combo to protect. Yeah, it, it's a little frustrating in that if you play it on heights with Lily, it can still get lightning bolted or rolling stoned or whatever. Yeah. It's still nice to have to just even, like, protect whatever other thing you have on heights from that lightning bolt. And it also, you need to think about what you're going to play in lane two a lot with, with that kind of setup. Yeah. So, like, you know, I... My old habit was playing Lily in lane four, and I've had to kind of like groom myself out of that and start sticking it in lane two. Because like the only thing in this deck that should be going in lane four is your punish room. I think we got a question a long time ago about like like if there was a science to like playing stuff in what lane, um, and I think generally the answer to that is if something has a combat relevant ability that affects your whole team, you want it to attack as late as possible. Um, so like punish room, if that's in lane one and it dies, then all the rest of your mushrooms that die don't do extra damage. But if it's in lane four, your mushrooms in lanes one, two, and three do the extra damage. Same thing with like disco knot and, uh, and other things like that. Yeah. There, there's not a ton of like positionality in this game, you know, like the way that hearthstone does damage to adjacent dudes or the way the cherry bomb does damage to adjacent dudes. Like that doesn't come up a ton. Um, but for cards like Punish Room, you do want to keep them safe by having them attack late. If left to my own devices, I will almost always drop my first creature in lane two. Because I li- like, sometimes you also need to think about 
like a like a last turn of the game where you want to make sure that your plants are are in the first two lanes and not in the not in the uh, yeah. lanes three and four. But that is that's several steps away, especially if you're just opening up your your turn. It also matters what your opponent's uh, superpowers are and stuff. And so, like, Absolutely. if uh, if you're playing like if you're playing like let's say an aggro deck similar to this, but not this, because like let's say you're playing like Pumpkin Boy. Um, or you're you're playing like a turn one um, Astro Shroom. Um, if they have a superpower that hurts dudes on the ground, you want to play it on the heights. And if you know, like if you're playing against uh, Brain Freeze, you got to know that they can play freeze all plants on the ground, kind of at whatever time they choose. I'm torn in that sometimes I'll play the Astro Shroom on turn one to bait that out, to keep it from, you know, if Acid Rain only kills one of my creatures, yeah, that sucks, but that's not the end of the world. Whereas if it, you know, kills, like, four critters at once, that's real bad news. Yeah, Acid Rain can really wreck you in a deck like this. Um, I mean, Snow can, so can Sneezing Zombie, but, like... Yeah, that, zombie, is, that has like, been real irritating. <laughs> you're kind of SOL against Sneezing Zombie. There's not much you can really do. But, yeah, this is the deck that I hit Ultimate with, and I, I really like it, and I hope you like it, too. Yeah, man, nicely done. Hitting... Hitting ultimate in like a week and a half, like that's crazy. The trick was uh, being sick for most of the last week and just playing a lot of games. Oh, yeah. Uh, Well, that's going to do it for episode eight of Shroom for Two. Thank you all for bearing with us for the week where we didn't do a show. uh, And thank you all for listening to this show. Yeah, we we hope that our our one week of not making a show did not alienate too many of you. And we're back now and we'll be back to doing this once a week, we hope. And also, uh, check out our brand new podcast art. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we uh, finally replaced my my crappy uh, hand-drawn art that I just did on my laptop at 3 in the morning one night. Uh, we got uh, some some sweet new art, courtesy of our friend Justin. And, uh, and yeah, I'm super proud of it. And I'm, I'm glad, that, uh, glad that we're finally able to like look like we're in the big leagues by having some, some cool-looking art. Hopefully uh, next week we'll we'll have a little bit of a budget tournament recap. We can, depending on how far it's gone, we'll maybe talk about our decks or maybe not. Uh, I don't know how long this thing's gonna run. I only know that like round one starts on Friday. Yeah, I have I've a feeling it'll probably only take the weekend. Although this weekend is PAX Unplugged. Uh, if you happen to be randomly in Philadelphia, uh, there's a board game convention um, happening at the Philadelphia Convention Center. Um, and, uh, so I'm going to be slightly distracted from Plants vs. Zombies for this weekend. But, um, but yeah, I, uh, I'm excited for that tournament. I wonder if, uh, there's going to be any, any budget decks that just, like, were completely in my blind spot. Like, you know, I figure, like, some people are probably going to be doing, like, sports. Some people are probably going to be, like, every, every tribe, basically, right? You know, there's going to be, like, someone's going to be doing imps and someone's going to be doing whatever. But, uh. I'm I'm really curious to see if there's something that I just completely missed. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to see which rares people will pick for their decks because that that was a dilemma that I had a lot of time tinkering around with when you know wondering, okay, do I want four of these or do I mm-hmm. want to maybe, you know, make three of them so I can put two more of something else in there? Like that was a really interesting decision for me and I hope it was a really interesting decision for all of you too. There's definitely in in my budget decks. There's some where I'm playing like four of one thing and four of another, and then there's some where I'm playing two, two, and two. 
two, 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 and two. That is, yeah. I'm I'm interested to see how how we do, and uh, us facing each other in the finals would be pretty cool. I guess everybody will know if we both just scrub out like losers uh, by the time they hear by the the time next show comes around. And um, apologies if we didn't get to your listener mail question this week. Uh, if we didn't, if we have it already and we didn't do it this week, we'll do it next week. Um, and you know, please be sure to send us as many more questions as you've got. We like to answer them and we want to have as many as we can. So if you've got a question, send it to shroom for two podcast at gmail.com. That's two spelled T W O shroom for two podcast at gmail.com. And you can also check out shroom for two.com for all of our previous episodes and some of our decks. That's true. And until next time, I'm Mike and I'm Taylor. Thanks for listening.